Hello to all my fellow 101 History Podcast listeners out there. It sure is great to be back on the air, and I hope all of you, no matter where you uh, reside in the United States, I hope all of you had a great uh, Thanksgiving holiday. I had a good one. Uh, It went by fast, but that was to be expected. But nonetheless, uh, my wife and I are very thankful um, to have uh, both sets of parents uh, live nearby, um, so this way we don't have to worry about... um, flipping a coin as to where we might be in terms of um, destination or location, rather, uh, one year, and then um, doing the um, the same for um, vice versa. Not that there's nothing wrong with uh, traveling to go visit family, but, uh, but with all the weather events lately, uh, especially with the uh, lake effect snow, uh, snowstorm that is up in uh, the northeast, and then uh, just with the airport delays and all, Sometimes it's just best to stay home um, for the holidays. But nonetheless, I hope all of you um, in the United States uh, who are um, who've been ardent listeners uh, had a great uh, holiday. Now, uh, when I was on the air last, we uh, learned uh, about a um, United States senator. Uh, he was the uh, junior senator from uh, Michigan, William Alden Smith. He certainly has a lot of uh, impressive uh, credentials, and he's one of those uh, legislators who um, he's not trying to put on a false front, but he really wants to um, get to the bottom of uh, sensitive issues. He wants to um, get all the ins and outs. He likes to go behind the scenes. Basically, what Senator Smith is trying to do is by getting all the information there is available, he wants to know how another disaster could be completely avoided so that countless lives are not lost as to what um, as to the opposite of what uh, took place um, on the night of uh, April 14th and into the um, morning hours after midnight of April 15th. Um, that led to the um, unthinkable being the uh, sinking of uh, Royal Mail Steamer uh, Titanic, a.k.a. RMS Titanic, where just over f- 1,500 people's lives were lost and around 705 people survived. So I, ha- I would have to say that uh, Senator uh, William Alden Smith has done um, a phenomenal job with this um, Senate inquiry and getting to the bottom of the truth. Now, in this uh, podcast segment, we're going to learn more about uh, Senator Smith and whom he is going to be questioning. I have a pretty good idea who he's going to be questioning. It just so happens he's going to be questioning Stanley Lord, rather I should say Captain Stanley Lord of the Californian. And I'm sure some of us are wondering what else is there that we don't know about Captain Stanley Lord than what we already do know. We're going to learn some other stuff that um, has now been brought to the forefront. And what that information will entail is uh, not only a log journal, but a scrap log as well. I'm sure some of you are wondering, you know, I've never heard of the term scrap log. But believe me, when you all, you know, do learn about um, what a scrap log is, you will find that it is um, essential Sometimes these logs, uh, journal logs, remind me of like what we might think of as a daytime planner, an agenda type of list where, you know, tasks 
have to be put into place every day that are required. And when we're on, you know, duty, of course, I shouldn't be giving it away, but whenever we're on duty, that is, we have assignments before us, we have to, you know, be vigilant with what is uh, around us, not not just from a uh, cautious or a um, from a safety point of view, but we have to um, we, we have to um, be vigilant of um, other ships that are uh, passing by us or that are uh, in the nearby vicinity. And if a ship does try to communicate with us, you know, those things we have to take into consideration. They have to be noted because, you know, any uh, missed uh, observations or missed signal could come back and bite the ship that had the chance to uh, seize the opportunity. And I'm beginning to wonder if Californian really um, messed up, thanks in large part uh, because of Captain Stanley Lord's ignorance. I can already say that probably now, but as this uh, Senate inquiry continues to expand, the harder it's going to become, in my opinion, in my opinion, for Captain Stanley Lord to um, possibly exonerate himself or for the uh, Senate com- subcommittee as a whole under, uh, under uh, Senator William Alden Smith's uh, leadership to even think of wanting to go as far as to exonerate him. So we have a lot to um, look forward to in this uh, podcast segment. So uh, anyways, um, let's uh, hit, hit things off with our uh, first leadoff question, which is going to be the following. After reading articles in Boston American and Clinton Daily Item, which stated just how close Californian uh, might have been to Titanic's uh, positioning, what action did Senator Smith pursue immediately? What action do you think he pursued immediately given that article's in the Boston American and the Clinton um, Daily Item have now um, revealed, given that the Californian might have been um, close to Titanic's final uh, position, which would have been about um, 46 degrees, um, 46 degrees, um, 46.41 uh, longitude north. <laughs> And then the other being 51.14 degrees latitude west. Well, for for, uh, Senator uh, Smith, he instructs his marshals to go directly to Boston, given that's where the Carpathia docked. And by sending his marshals to Boston, he's going to have them serve uh, subpoenas to Captain Stanley Lord, um, Engineer Ernest Gill, and Californians' officers to testify in Washington, D.C. come April the 25th. And, you know, interesting enough, we were um, accustomed there for a while to have that these uh, hearings were taking place in New York. Why did they relocate to Washington, D.C.? Well, w- yes, one could say it's because uh, Washington, D.C. is the nation's capital. Uh, that's one possibility, but... The hearings were relocated to Washington, D.C. due to the facilities at the Waldorf Astoria being inadequate. Why would Congress find these facilities at Waldorf Astoria inadequate? Well, it had a lot to do with uh, the committee's needs. In other words, it really was becoming 
uncomfortable for the Senate subcommittee to hold um, the inquiries in New York long term, not so much based upon the, the overall number of witnesses that did testify being 82 and 21 of them being uh, Titanic survivors, but they felt that by going to Washington, D.C., there would be less distraction. It's an interesting um, point of view or perspective, but at the same time, you know, this is not a uh, move that's for publicity. This is not a political stunt. This is not something that um, where certain politicians on the subcommittee who could be up for re-election were persuading Senator Smith to relocate. This was actually a decision made on Senator Smith's part, and it received uh, broad unanimous support, not only from within his own party, being the Republican Party, but that of the uh, Democrats as well. So the bottom line is, is that they have to do what's best, not only for the for themselves within the subcommittee, but also perhaps what's best for those whom have not yet uh, testified. <clears throat> but whom testified first on the Californians' uh, behalf? Engineer Ernest Gill. And I found this uh, to be rather interesting when uh, reading the book, uh, The Other Side of the Night, uh, The Carpathia, The Californian, and The Night the Titanic Was Lost. What I found interesting about um, Engineer Ernest Gill was that while he did testify in openly, before he testified openly, he actually it, he actually requested that he be interviewed in private first. He he asked Senator Smith if he could be interviewed privately first because Ernest Engineer Ernest Gill knew that. He had been paid, well, he, he revealed to Senator Smith that he had been paid $500 for the story that he had um, told uh, once they had um, gotten off, um, once they had arrived into uh, Boston. And the reason why he wanted to tell Senator Smith ahead of time was that, for one, by telling Senator Smith ahead of time that he had been paid $500 for his story, it would avoid further backlash. It would also avoid uh, news reporters asking 20 other questions and in you know, worst case scenario, um, bringing on a you know, bombshell to Senator Smith saying, oh, by the way, did um, engineer Ernest Gill tell you that he received $500? Oh, no, he didn't. And then have to open up another investigation as to why the engineer was not being honest from the get-go. So I do applaud um, engineer Ernest Gill for um, telling Senator Smith in private, hey, look, I uh, had been paid $500 for my story, but I also need to let you know now that, um, number one, I don't have a problem testifying out in the open, but once my testimony is done, there is a very, very strong likelihood that I'm going to lose my job. And it has nothing to do with you or anybody else on the subcommittee. But it, it, but I just know that I'm going to lose my job for uh, telling the story. So Ernest Gill does testify to Senator Smith and the rest of the subcommittee. And after his testimony, he did lose his job. However, Gill's testimony was accurate on both ends, both public and private. So is it fair to say that engineer Ernest Gill paid the price? 
Yes, he did. But, but did he want to pay the price for what he had shared? Yes, because Ernest Gill knew, I mean, Ernest Gill saw firsthand the mystery ship, a.k.a. Titanic, in the distance, n- not acting right. He saw, you know, the lights flickering on and off. He knew that, um, I mean, he saw white rockets being launched into the sky, and he wasn't afraid to tell uh, Captain Stanley Lord what he saw. But of course, Captain Lord, being as ignorant as he was, you know, just shrugged it off as if nothing had happened. So the bottom line is that for Ernest Gill, he didn't want to take any secrets to his grave. And by telling Senator Smith ahead of time he had been paid $500 for his story and saying that, just to let you know that after I share this story with you all, I'm going to more than likely lose my job. This way, it um, relieves Senator Smith from any kind of, um, well, what, do we, what, do, what, what should we say? It, it relieves Senator Smith from further worries, from further burdens. On the other hand, if I am Senator William Alden Smith, would I feel sorry for this guy? Yes. I mean, he did a noble thing by telling me in private what, it, what he had received, but also knowing that the Leland line didn't come to his defense. You know, and we learned from the previous podcast that a representative from the Leland line met with Captain Lord. We don't know anything about this interview. But I'm beginning to wonder if the representative from, from Leland line who met with Captain Lord sided with Captain Lord from the get-go. And maybe they struck a deal where Captain Lord said to the representative, um, I think it, w- it would be best for you not to testify in Washington. I think it would be best, as a matter of fact, if no uh, representatives from Leland Line come to uh, Washington or wherever the hearings are, because they were still in New York at the time that the uh, Californian docked, it could just very well be best that we don't send any representatives from our company. So it very very well could be that Captain Lord and this representative from the Leland line uh, did in fact conspire uh, to basically say that, hey, if anyone does testify against us, most notably me, Captain Lord, then we can see to it that that individual or individuals get fired. In this case, uh, Captain, uh, in this case, Engineer Ernest Gill, um, no one came to his defense in terms of... Um, upper management level or even that of captain lord but of course i it would it didn't come as a surprise that captain lord didn't come to the guy's defense and i don't think captain lord would come to anybody else's defense on the side of the californian but then again if captain lord really wanted to come to anybody's defense he would have had enough he would have used far more common sense in a time of um crisis in coming to another ship's rescue and I still have to wonder to this day, had it been a different liner, had it been, say, a ship from the Cunard line that was in danger, would Captain uh, Stanley Lord have come to that ship's rescue? We'd like to think so, but we'll never know. It's very obvious that Captain Lord did have it out for the White Star line, as I'd mentioned from a previous podcast. However, after uh, Engineer Ernest Gill testified, uh, Captain Lord came next uh, to testify. Captain Lord admitted he never saw the other ship. Go figure. But he did say that whatever his officer spotted, 
did not appear to show signs of danger, and therefore appeared to have been the ship itself appeared to have been much smaller than Titanic. Wishful thinking. I don't know of any other ships out there on the night of April 14th or the 15th of 1912 that could have been much, much smaller than, than the world's largest ocean vessel at 882 feet long. Sure, the, I mean, Californian was just over 500 feet uh, long. Uh, Carpathia was just over 500 feet. So in terms of uh, smaller size ships, I think we better be thinking about the Californian and the Carpathia as being smaller size ships. So for Captain Lord, he also said that his officers reported only once to him about the mystery ship firing rockets, but not, but not those of distress. In other words, the, the rockets in Captain Lord's eyes that were not of distress were the company rockets. I tell you, that Captain Lord, um, I'll just say, uh, 101, I'll just say, what a real jerk. That's, that's as far as I'll go, but, you know, what a real jerk. Senator Smith, however, was not fooled by Captain Lord's responses. He went as far as asking Captain Lord how long it might have taken to reach Titanic given the ice field she had encountered. Lord's answer, in quotations, was the following. At the very least, two hours. Really, two hours when you were no more than ten miles away from Titanic? To me, that makes no sense. Captain Lord said that, that this was attributed based upon how the ice itself got positioned around his ship, considering it was nighttime. Well, yes, at nighttime it can be hard to see ships from a distance, but we have to remember by the 20, early 20th century, you know, technology has improved a little bit, folks. You know, we've got, you know, electrical sophisticated means for being able to see ships' lights from a distance. So, yes, we could say that, um, we could say all we want that, oh, with, this, with it being nighttime outside, it made, made it harder to um, see what was out on the horizon. Okay, well, if it is hard to spot something 100% clear out on the horizon, what, what do you think Captain Lord should have had his officers on duty do? He should have had them go wake up the wireless operator who could have communicated with a ship or a ship or two out in the distance. Hello, you've got the means to communicate. Use it at your, at your um, dispense. After Senator Smith was finished uh, with questioning Captain Lord, whom, whom took the stand next? Ah, that wireless operator, Cyril Evans. Senator Smith provided Evans with a report of exchanges between Californian and Titanic prior to his signing off at 11 p.m. April the 14th which included a well-known attempt on Evans's part to warn the Titanic operators of the Californian being forced to stop for the night because of the presence of, um, of field ice. Of course, Titanic's wireless operators, uh, most notably uh, Harold Bride and, well, Harold Bride and Jack Phillips. Of course, it was uh, Jack Phillips whom uh, spoke to Cyril Evans, and Cyril Evans warned Phillips of um, the presence of field ice, but of course Phillips was more concerned about uh, sending um, telegram uh, letters 
that were uh, sent by Titanic passengers to the um, wireless operating room. Of course, uh, Jack Phillips got caught up in a bad moment and told um, Cyril Evans, uh, Shut up, shut up, I'm busy. You're interrupting my line. Well, you know, I don't know where the where prioritization fell through the cracks, but obviously, as we all know by now, Titanic received more than one ice warning. Six. They didn't seem to be uh, heated rather very well, considering it didn't help that the ship was going at 21 knots. So by the time this ice warning gets uh, sent, or at around 11 o'clock from Californian, Titanic is um, has she's already been playing with some fire, but given that she's going at 21 knots, her level of uh, playing with fire has accelerated uh, beyond um, a scale of one to five, exceeding level five, in my opinion. Cyril Evans uh, was questioned by Senator Smith about the events on April the 15th. Uh, he was unable to explain why he had not been awakened earlier prior to the time frame period of uh, 2.10 to 2.20 a.m. being Titanic's final moments, her last um, CQD uh, distress uh, message being sent to the Virginian, which was a faint message, and then... Um, by around that time, uh, what was left of the ship was already starting to sink into the uh, bottom of the North Atlantic Ocean. Well, the one mistake that 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 the men whom were on duty of the Californian did not do was they should have uh, they should have uh, gotten Cyril Evans up, even if it meant not. And the one thing they should not have would should not have done, or would would not have done, if I were one of those officers, is I wouldn't have even bothered saying to Captain Lord, "Oh, I should go wake up uh, wireless operator Evans." Oh no, you shouldn't do that. Don't get him involved in this mess. He needs to catch up on his rest. Well, sometimes, you know, sometimes things come up that are beyond our control, and this was something that was even beyond. The control of the um, officers of the Californian, whom, yes, did everything there was. Yes, they gave multiple warnings to Captain Lord. But the one mistake that they made was they should have just taken matters into their own hands and and gotten uh, Cyril Evans up and gotten him on um, his wireless set to start uh, sending, to start um, communicating with uh, Titanic. I have to wonder if Cyril Evans had been had got had been awakened much earlier, right, just shortly after midnight, given that he probably would only had had one hour of sleep at most by that time. But I do have to wonder that if um, those men that were on duty had um, had awoken uh, Cyril Evans, I often wonder um, what might have been done next. But I also have to remind myself, too, that even if Cyril Evans had been awakened and went to his station, the thought of trying to persuade Captain Lord to change his mind, to get him to think differently about the about the impending situation ten miles away, do you really think Captain Lord would have cared? No. That's the kind of uh, man he was. Nothing but ignorant. Had Stanley Lord's version behind the evening of April 14th to the 15th changed more than once. Oh, this is where things get even worse, folks. Uh, yes, uh, his 
version behind the evening of April 14th to the 15th did in fact change more than once. For starters, Captain Lord on April the 19th told the Boston Traveler that his ship, in quotations folks, that his ship was, and here, here it goes in quotes, 30 miles north of the scene of the frightful disaster. 30 miles north, folks? No, it makes no frickin' sense. But come April the 22nd, he informed the Boston Post that his ship stood only 20 miles from Titanic. That's a 10-mile difference there, folks. And by the time he testified to the Senate uh, subcommittee under, um, the hel- under the leadership of Senator William Alden Smith, <laughs> Captain Lord tells Senator Smith that his ship was 19 miles from Titanic's location. I'm, you know, these numbers that Captain, that Captain Lord is revealing, 30, 20, 19, why is he mentioning numbers that are bigger, given that it's fair to say Californians' position was probably no more than 10 to 12 miles from Titanic? The further, well, for one, the bigger the number that Lord is spitting out, he's trying to find those within the subcommittee whom will actually believe him, or rather, I should say, fall for the bait and say, and think to themselves, okay, well, if this guy was 30 miles out, then how would he have had any way of being able to come to Titanic's rescue? Well, even if Californian was 30 miles away, folks, even if Californian was, okay, at most 20 miles away, and could see something way, way out on the horizon that would still provide a ship like the Californian with an opportunity to communicate with the other ship that's way out on the horizon. But we also have to keep in mind, in 1912, once again, we don't have a 24-hour wireless uh, communication operation system. Uh, Wireless operators can shut down at any time of day or night. And for those whom are available, it's really a stroke of luck. The same report confirming that Captain the same report confirmed that Captain Lord vehemently denied his ship's crew of having spotted rockets or other signals of distress revealed in the Boston Globe that his ship spent over 2 hours trying to locate Titanic including survivors. Okay, so Captain Lord told um Representatives from the Boston Globe that his ship spent over two hours trying to locate Titanic, including survivors. But this is where Captain Lord shoots himself in the foot at the inquiry. He tells Senator Smith that the search itself was conducted in less than two in less than a two-hour time span. So to me, if a search is conducted less than less than a two-hour time span, that would mean at minimum, say, one hour, at maximum, one hour and 30 minutes, which is close to two hours, but it's below the two-hour maximum maximum um, time frame search that Captain Lord had, had stated to um, representatives from the Boston Globe. I really hate to say this, but Captain Lord has shot himself in the foot, and yet he's, he's coming... I don't know if he's faced reality yet, but the bottom line is that nobody's coming to his defense. 
maybe Captain Lord doesn't care if no one comes to his defense. But the bottom line is, is that uh, nobody's buying his stories. Captain Lord questioned uh, Carpenter McGregor's accusations, including engineer Ernest Gill's written statement by saying his ship's wireless operating machine system was down come hours after midnight. So here we go again. Another um, fudged um, story saying on the part of Captain Lord saying, oh, my ship's wireless operating machine system is down and that's why we couldn't uh, get any communication for X number of hours, especially after uh, midnight on the 15th. And therefore, we couldn't have known anything about Titanic's official sinking until the following day. However, Senator Smith's uh, previous experience in the railroad industry provided him with wireless radio knowledge. And because of this uh, previous knowledge he had attained with the wireless uh, system from the railroad industry, for Senator Smith, if Californian's steamer was still functioning properly, then she herself still had power to get a wireless system back up and running in no time. Captain Lord's remarks on engines stopping was seen as irrelevant. But, but then again, everything else he has said is irrelevant. To me, Captain Stanley Lord is best described as someone uh, who's manipulative, deceitful, to being two-faced, saying one thing and in return doing the opposite for attention-seeking purposes, where he's simply trying to shift blame on someone or something else with the hopes of minimizing his chances of being completely held responsible for Titanic sinking. To me, Stanley Lord is playing with fire, but I don't really think he cares if he's playing with fire. All... It's all about Stanley Lord, nobody else. Hang tight for just a moment. Now, the next part we're going to talk about is something that I, I didn't know really much at all about, but it is worth sharing because it has it's uh, scientific-related, and it did play a, a drastic um, measure or part in... Um, in the lead up to where, um, in the lead up to where, uh, per map findings, just how close uh, Californians' actual position was to that of Titanic, and yet the, um, and yet the inevitable did happen. Now I don't excuse Californians. I mean, uh, I don't excuse Titanic's um, leadership in terms of uh, officers not heeding the warnings properly of icebergs and uh, ice field ice that uh, they would soon be encountering upon. But at the same time, uh, for Titanic, most notably Captain for Californian, uh, Captain Stanley Lord not um, showing enough empathy and concern about um, a mystery ship that was 10 miles away, regardless of who it was. The fact that he didn't care to make an attempt to go to the ship's rescue, what does that say about him? It doesn't speak very well of him. Think of how many lives might have been saved. Well, that, that'll probably come up again in another podcast. But just think about all these 
what-ifs, these unknowns, because they are still with us, even 110 years later, folks. So, here we go with our next uh, series of questions. What does hydrography mean, or let alone refer to? Hydrography is spelled H-Y-D-R-O-G-R-A-P-H-Y. Hydrography is the science of surveying to mapping bodies of water such as seas, oceans, lakes, rivers, to coastal areas. Okay, so we know it's a scientific term and we know that it has to do with uh, surveying to mapping bodies of water. Hydro hydrography focuses on physical features and how those features within bodies of water might change over time. Hey, you know, nothing stays in place forever. So these uh, changes over time could pertain to such things as uh, navigation safety, marine activities. And when I think of navigation safety, you know, how are boats going to um, navigate um, navigate a, um, a channel of water are they still going to be able to navigate that channel of water um, efficiently five to ten years from now as they are able to do in the current uh, moment? So we've got navigation safety to think about. Uh, marine activities. How about economic uh, development? Uh, security and defense. Scientific research to environmental protection. So... Hydrography is not just about one thing, one element alone. It, it 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 covers the whole nine yards. And in case some of you are wondering, where exactly does this word hydrography come from? It it's an ancient uh, Greek word. Hydor is water in Greek. That's H Y D O R. Hydor being water. Grapho which means to write. Hydrography. Now, did Senator Smith uh, contact uh, the United States Navy's hyd hydrographer's office? Yes, uh, he was determined to obtain all necessary information available with regards to the ice field. Titanic and Californian each encountered including other ships nearby Titanic's last position. For Senator Smith, he turned to a, a man named Captain John J. Knapp of the United States Navy, whom explained to the full Senate subcommittee the hydrographic office's uh, tasks, or I should say duties. Knapp said that any or all reports issued which have a sudden or instant effect upon navigation safety, those reports are to be provided at once to the entire maritime community, including the public at large. Yes, if there, um, if there are concerns um, that are readily um, visible, present, pertaining to um, overall navigation safety, then yes, um, the maritime community as a whole needs to be made aware of this. There may not be another ship or 
or boat that could be coming in the vicinity, say, within the next 30 minutes to an hour. But, you know, we still would like to be uh, made aware of because in a few hours from now, if another ship does come through and encounters the same problem as the one that just experienced something, you know, it's awkward enough that we might have one problem on, on our hands, but do we want to have two and three other uh, ships uh, experiencing the same problems to where um, it becomes a national crisis? So you got to think we have to take that into consideration. And yes, the public should be made aware of this, um, as long as it you know yes one could say as long as it's compelling, but at the same time you know people do need to be made aware. Captain Knapp also advised how Hydrographic Office of Bureau of Navigation consistently publishes graphically per monthly basis a series of charts called pilot charts of the North Atlantic Ocean. The pilot chart or pilot charts lists the physical conditions regarding an ocean's status or well-being including atmospheric reports per each month as well as any location presenting dangers to navigation reported by incoming ships. You know, as technology has become more sophisticated by the start of the 20th century, I think all these advances have been um, amazing. And, you know, ever since the middle of the 19th century, given that uh, passenger fare had, has become more widespread, uh, going from uh, Europe to America and America to, to Europe, we, you know, these transatlantic liners, they need to, uh, they need to know um, what's in store for them. And the more uh, tools they have at their expense, then the better off they can be um, made aware of as to what lies in store so that they don't encounter anything that, um, that could be so bad to where it might result in, um, in a, a in large number of fatalities that, um, that in previous years or in centuries had never been heard of. And of course, with the sinking of the Titanic, prior to 1912, nobody had ever encountered a situation where thousands of people's lives were lost. Even with all this uh, sophisticated technology in the early 20th century, it is still hard to believe that a tragedy, given the scope of what happened to Titanic, did in fact happen. But it did. But we should also keep in mind, too, that... Um, that the men who built the Titanic, and I don't, you know, I don't fault Thomas Andrews, who is a Titanic shipbuilder, uh, for this, but the other uh, men, um, and I guess it would be fair to say that uh, James Bruce Ismay was part of that inner circle, where all of them just felt that, well, number one, Titanic's unsinkable. Two, she represents the uh, final triumph of um, technology over nature. Three, uh, no matter what stands in her way she'll she'll find a way to avoid it well all three of those things failed bottom line is titanic is like any other liner she's not invincible she can um pose signs of um of running into danger and she and if she doesn't heed warnings then then the unexpected can come up that could pose as uh, being a danger 
and have uh, life-altering consequences, and the end result proved to be fatal on the evening of April 14th to the 15th of 1912. So uh, Captain Knapp said that all captains navigating along the, the Atlantic, or I should say the North Atlantic Ocean per transatlantic um, trade, relied heavily upon pilot charts for various uh, safety matters, including uh, radio telegraphy, which could and often did allow ships, captains, and wireless operators um, better means to relay urgent information in the midst of reducing to avoiding all-out inevitable matters. Well, what I just explained a few minutes ago would easily um, relate to what was just said a second ago. Tell you this, uh, Captain uh, John Knapp, really, um, he's, he's a real uh, brilliant fella. I mean, he's one of those people that most people wouldn't know about. I didn't know anything about him until I read this book, but this is a fellow who doesn't miss out on a whole lot, but yet he, but yet he knows what's crucial for survival on the sea, given that, um, given that now the United States has become a world superpower. I mean, we've really only been a world superpower for 15 years. We didn't become one until around 1898, um, in the midst of the uh, Spanish American war. But now that the that the United States has emerged as being an industrial superpower, what is that going to mean, folks? Well, it's going to mean that ship more and more ships are going to be uh, transporting goods across uh, the oceans in larger uh, supplies. Not that we weren't doing it before, but by being an industrial nation, it's going to just mean more and more demand on a mass quantity scale. So Captain Knapp... Um, takes things to another level by bringing out a series of charts being three altogether the first two the first two charts showed ice field in the range of titanic's uh, final position per reports from other ships which passed through the same waters during the day and evening of april the 14th 1912 what did uh, chart number three represent? It was marked in quotations, Titanic-Ice-Barrier-Nearby Ships. Captain Knapp uh, referred to um, what were called arcs of circles, which demonstrated the positions of Titanic and Californian. The outer arc around each ship was labeled with a radius, and for those of you who are math whizzes, uh, you, I know that you all would already know what a radius is. But for those of you who might need a little reminder, I'll just tell you right here. A radius is a straight line from the center to the circumference of a circle or a sphere. In this case, with the outer arc around each ship, it was labeled with a radius of 16 miles being the furthest distance where a curvature of Earth would have enabled Titanic's sidelights, the sidelights being on the star, her starboard side, the sidelights could be seen by someone, we rephrase this here, where the curvature of the Earth would have enabled Titanic's sidelights to be seen by someone at the height of which Californian sidelights were positioned. 
angled. So in other words, we would have almost been looking at somewhat of a, a perfect symmetry to where Californian would have been um, positioned given where she had uh, stopped for the night, given she wasn't far from the uh, field ice, but based upon her positioning, and given where Titanic um, was, that this curvature would have uh, provided adequate uh, adequate sightseeing. <laughs> I'm not talking about leisure sightseeing, folks, but adequate sightseeing to where the officers on the Californian would have, in fact, gotten the clearest view of the ship out on the horizon to know that, you know, something's not right. Of course, those officers knew something wasn't right. I mean, they saw multiple rockets being launched into the air. They saw lights flickering. They even saw the ship gradually, they saw part of the ship coming out of the water. And they, and they knew that, that, that something just wasn't right. But, of course, you've got to thank their captain um, for being an idiot. So, at 16 miles, being the um, furthest distance where the curvature of Earth would have enabled Titanic's sidelights to be seen by someone at the height of which uh, Californian sidelights were positioned, that would have given, that right there would have provided the best and the most... Um, what do you call it, the most foreseeable opportunity right there to, to come to Titanic's rescue. The inner circle around Titanic in uh, California had, Californian had a radius of seven miles, distance where curvature of, of the Earth would have closed the side lights of Californian per the view of someone already placed into a Titanic lifeboat. So if this... If this were the case here, folks, that would have meant that the Californian would have been very likely outside of the seven-mile radius. And it's fair to say that if she wasn't 16 miles, she was at best 10 to 12 miles. Regardless, she was close enough, and her captain should have known better regardless, to have just come to the ship's rescue. Make the effort. Make every valiant effort there is. What continued to perplex Captain Knapp? Well, I think it's pretty obvious, but what really has perplexed Captain Knapp has to do with the true definitive position of where Californian herself lied in relation to Titanic's last positioning location. Mr. Uh, Captain Knapp knew deep down inside Californian's log journals, or log journal, wasn't anywhere near 100% accurate. Captain Knapp learned that Captain Lord recorded in his log where Californian had stopped for the night at 10.20 p.m. on April the 14th at a position of 42 east, 5 degrees north, 50 east, 7 degrees west, which would have been in a longitude position um, would have been right, obviously not far from a Titanic, but in but based upon what Captain Lord did, though, the coordinates are way off. If Californian was at 42 east, 5 degrees north, 
50 east, 7 degrees west, that meant she would have been 19 miles northeast of the position per based upon where Titanic's fourth officer, Joseph Boxhall, had planned out. Captain Lord's comments per the log journal supporting the distance far visibility to where Titanic wasn't in sight. He was hoping that all of that would um, somehow um, persuade those on the Senate subcommittee to say, well, if this guy was too far out, then how, how would he have known as to what was really going on? Well, they're not, not going to fall for it, folks. Californians' uh, logged position was based on a sun sighting um, event that occurred six hours earlier, six hours before midnight. I tell you, Captain Lord certainly does know how to manipulate not just people, but know, he knows how to sadly manipulate the log. And to me, that's a crime onto itself. Is a ship's master primarily responsible for the records of his vessel's log? Well, that ought to be a definitive yes, considering that nothing is to be entered into the log without the captain's own approval and consent. You know, an officer below the captain can't just, I mean, he can certainly write down um, on, a, on a separate piece of paper, he can definitely write down what he observed during his shift, especially, and then come to the captain and say, this is what I saw at such and such hour, and this is what I also spotted, so I need for you, based upon what I wrote here, we need to ensure that this gets uh, noted in the uh, journal log. Well, unfortunately, uh, Captain Lord um, obviously has um, fabricated all that. He's uh, manipulated it for his own personal gain. Uh, the ships are supposed to keep what are called a scrap log, a scrap log is a record kept during a shift of everything taking place on board regarding a ship's handling, whom is at the helm, a.k.a. command, engine matters, signal and navigational information to crew status. So there you have it, folks. This scrap log is, uh, to me, it's just as vital as a regular um, journal log, but the scrap log also recorded sea conditions, including the presence of ice when visible, spotting sightings of other nearby vessels, as well as observing signals sent from ships nearby. Well, I mean, the officers below Captain Lord, you know, they, they recorded what they saw, but Captain Lord chose to do the exact opposite. Is a ship's captain required to review all recordings from the scrap log daily? Yes. Uh, if he doesn't, then to me that's a red flag. This way, if necessary, a captain will always be assured of making proper approvals, modifications to entry corrections. Now, I should point out that there was also an inquiry in uh, England, a British inquiry that took place after the... Uh, United States inquiry, but the U.S. and the British inquiries did confirm that Californian scrap log on the night of April 14th to the 15th of 1912 had disappeared, and the formal log itself provided no references at all about the mystery ship being the Titanic. 
nor was um, any information about the mystery ship mentioned in the uh, scrap log, nor was there any information included that pertained to three of Captain Lord's officers whom uh, made references about the mystery ship being spotted. This also would include um, fabricating information that would have uh, pertained to the rockets that were um, launched into the air by the mystery ship herself. And nor did it nor did it include Captain Lord's order to directly contact the mystery ship through the use of Morse lamp. The absence of all these entries between April the 14th and the, to the 15th would never be properly addressed by Captain Lord himself at either inquiry, being in the United States and England. May 18, 1912, Senator Smith presented his full report to the United States Senate. The report included his outlining of events which led up to the Titanic colliding with the iceberg to retelling the story of the sinking liner to mentioning how Carpathia sacrificed everything in reaching those whom survived the Titanic tragedy. Yeah, I mean, remember folks, Carpathia was 58 miles southeast of Titanic and went the full four hours. You know, yes, they rescued 705 people who survived. Did Captain Arthur Rostron feel terrible that his ship could not have gotten there sooner? To have perhaps saved maybe 200 more people's lives? Absolutely. It was painful. But he, but looking back on it, he and his crew did everything there was to the best of their ability. It come 58 miles. And then you have this other ship whose captain didn't care about anyone else except his own self. He didn't even care about his own crew. To me, this was absolute ignorance. To me, this is even treason. I know that sounds vague, but the fact that he, um, the fact that he didn't show any loyalty, that the fact that he didn't show uh, any compassion or empathy towards his crew, given that his crew was the one that was doing all the work, only to be, um, only to have their findings be purposely shot down and manipulated to where they did not find their proper um, way into the. Uh, log book as well as the um, scrap log. Absolute um, hideous, uh, to say the least. Senator Smith, however, did hold Captain Edward J. Smith of the Titanic, even though he went down with the ship. Uh, Senator William Alden Smith held Captain Edward J. Smith liable for taking only the minimal precautions re regarding ice warnings from the other ships that had sent those warnings given that Titanic herself received six warnings, had Captain Smith done more to, in terms of taking the ice warning seriously, perhaps altering his ship's course, slowing down on the speed of the ship instead of, say, going 21 knots, maybe 12, 14. But cutting the, the speed down from 21 knots would have helped out drastically to where had he done more of these um, changes, then the chances of disaster with hitting an iceberg would have been drastically reduced. 
Captain Smith was well aware of some of these ice dangers. He was well aware of enough to know that trouble was looming and that if he didn't, um, you know, slow down, that he was going to eventually be stuck in a rock, between a rock and a hard place. So Captain Smith, yes, was well aware of some of these ice dangers that lied ahead, but the warnings were taken lightly. And what do you know, 1,500 people die, 705 people survive, but the sinking of the Titanic in its day was the worst uh, maritime disaster, given that it was uh, during a time of uh, peace when the sinking itself happened. I mean, we're two years shy from World War I. Well, we've covered a lot of ground, and thank you for your time as always. And when I'm uh, on the air again next, we're going to um, talk about the undelivered verdict. Now, I know, yes, there was an inquiry in England, but I figured for uh, time constraint purposes, it would be best for me to uh, move to um, move to something else. Uh, we've we've learned a great deal about the American um, inquiry, and we learned a great deal about. Um, Senator William Alden Smith's um, taking center stage and doing everything there was in, um, in getting to the bottom of what um, happened so that nothing, nothing terrible like what happened on the night of April 14th, uh, 15th of 1912 would ever happen again. Now, I will uh, say this much uh, right before we end this uh, book topic series. I will um, share with you all what reforms uh, were enacted by Congress with regards to um, better um, means of uh, ship safety along the waters of the North Atlantic Ocean. So when I'm on the air again next, we're going um, we're going to learn more as to what really happened that night in April of 1912. I, I think it's fair to say we've already learned a great deal about what happened. But we also have, but what we really need to learn about now is, um, you know, did Captain Stanley Lord ever face any charges? Or, you know, who really is to blame? Maybe that's the better way of saying it with regards to an undelivered verdict. You know, who's really at fault? Maybe we already know that answer, but in order to really know it well, we need to um, investigate. Well, thank you for your time as always, and thank you for being such ardent listeners. I look forward to being on the air next time with you all. Take care for now and stay safe.